0: Yo, 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 podcast world. What, what was that,
1: Lee? Okay, okay, that's that's the new official sign-on of FNO InsureTech that you, <laughs> you're you tuned into right now. This is uh, Rob Beller with his uh, boss, his leader, his joy to be, Lee, Lee Boyd. How are how you doing, Lee, Mr. Yo, yo, yo?
0: I'm doing great, Rob. How about you today?
1: Huh? Uh-huh. I don't think... When I think of Lee, I don't think of yo-yo-yo. So I'm No, it's to...
0: probably the last thing you think about. You typically refer to me as a nerd, and I don't hear a lot of nerds saying yo-yo-yo. Uh,
1: yeah. It doesn't cut me deep or anything.
0: To... I don't stay up at night thinking about you calling me a nerd, but that's okay.
1: Well, you know I say it affectionately. Sure. Sure. I mean... I mean... I say it only because I wish I could be one, but I can't. Oh, so
0: well, I'll take that lie.
1: I don't have the I don't have nerd capacity. Oh, like you, do. you're too cool for it. Well, no, I'm just not smart enough. It's really what it comes down to. No, nah. uh, well, okay. So those people who know me would certainly agree.
0: That is true. Uh-huh. Oh wait,
1: why are why
0: are we here today? We are here to do a podcast.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, pretty good one. We have Demetrius Gray. I know him. Do you really? Yeah. How's that? Not well. I've only talked to him for for about 30 seconds, but I look forward to learning more about him today.
1: Demetrius Gray is the co-founder and CEO of WeatherCheck, which is a really interesting company that just went through Y Combinator. Um, So they have interesting credentials. Why don't you give everybody a real quick intro of what WeatherCheck is?
0: Yeah, WeatherCheck was founded in 2015, and it is an online website that people can go to, agents, brokers, insureds. They can enter their address uh, to their home or properties, and they can get real-time updates on potential weather in their area, if uh, if there's hail or anything like that. Uh, so it's a really neat platform that uh, an insured agent or broker could use to stay up to date on the likelihood of needing to file an insurance claim.
1: And one of the interesting things about WeatherCheck is, is that they're focused in on, uh, on roofs. Yeah. And, and, we do, and roofs are very important to our business at 470 and uh, a big part of what we do. And they're very important to the carriers that we work with as well. Not to mention the insureds who live under them. Yeah, and so this is a this is a a, a play at making the whole uh, business of roofs more efficient, and uh, and
0: and I, I think it's great to to let everybody know that he is not a person who just came in and thought, let me do some weather. He has been in the roofing industry for years and years and years. Uh, he has been actually one of the roof salesmen for years. He's been the right. operation side. He's been around right. insurance and roofs. Uh, so he brings not only data from, from weather, but he brings insurance related information into this company.
1: Right. Right. He's uh he's a, uh, he's a rough guy. Yeah. Who's now a tech guy. Yeah. And, uh and an accounting by t- an accountant by training and just really smart. And so rather than, jibber-jabber jabber like we're doing here, let's just get right into our episode with Demetrius Gray, CEO at WeatherCheck. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition in which we have a very special guest, a young man from Kentucky, Mr. Demetrius Gray, the CEO and co-founder of WeatherCheck. How you doing, Demetrius?
2: Man, I'm fonder than proud here. <laughs> I had to throw a Kentucky reference out there. So. Yes. Is that a Kentucky heard heard that reference? That Not well, really, but you know. It's kind of a southern
1: reference, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is frog hair anyways?
2: I don't know.
0: I would assume the hair of a frog. It's so fine you can't see. I it. don't
1: think there is such a thing as hair fro- uh, frog hair.
2: Nope,
0: nope. No, I think that's the irony in it.
1: Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. All right. I it's, think. It's kind of like there's no such thing as us doing a good podcast.
0: Exactly uh-huh. the same,
1: uh uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's like at the end when we say that was a great podcast, that's irony,
0: that's irony, uh-huh,
1: anyways, we're a little off topic here um uh Demetrius, uh you are uh with an insure tech company that you co founded and you have a super interesting story, and we want to hear all about that today and uh why don't why don't we jump why don't we jump in and have you give us? Uh, a minute or two, your elevator, et cetera, about WeatherCheck and what you guys are and what you guys do.
2: Well, so WeatherCheck's a two-year-old insure tech early-stage company, um, most recent uh, alumni of Y Combinator winter 19. And what WeatherCheck does is really simple. It measures um, hail damage for uh, interns, agents, and brokers. Um, and basically tells them exactly when an insured should file a claim um, or is at risk of having a potential loss um, for a particular um, hail event that might come through. Uh, The big challenge for agents and brokers is under the conventional way today, um, you call your agent or broker and say, hey, I think I have hail damage. Well, that agent or broker has no context as to whether or not you're right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, but they also have a fiduciary responsibility to you to give you good advice. Um, and so our application allows them to give you really, really great insight um, almost in real time. I mean, like, there's only a few second delay for most storms. Um, oh, wow. And basically, they, it's doing something even greater, which is making an assessment of whether or not your particular carrier is likely to pay for that specific type of damage. Right, so you had one inch hail. Um, State Farm's probably going to pass on that one, um, which is a really big deal because in these independent agencies, they're writing for so many different carriers. Sure. Um, all damage or all claims are not created equal, um, and so giving um, the consumer a little bit more insight into how to be more savvy in terms of the product that they purchased.
0: Wow! Wow! So, so you're saying that that report. Gives you the likelihood of a certain insurance carrier providing coverage based on health size?
2: That's right. So if the carrier or if the agent or broker has uploaded all of his um, uh, book uh, into the system, then we go back and do that legwork. Because in some of these cases, um, and I'll give you an example, we had a, a client who filed a claim with USAA, I believe. Um, but then we didn't find out until later that she had a four thousand dollar deductible. Okay. Well, the truth is, you probably shouldn't have filed the claim. <laughs> it took up more; like she didn't even get a check from USAA, which really um, had made her have a bad experience because um, she felt like she got nothing. Um, and really, we implemented that feature so that we could basically give that insight early on, um, so that the insured doesn't feel like they're dejected from their, you know. Uh, insurance experience, Um, because these experiences don't happen often. Um, And for the agent and broker, you're really trying to maintain um, a lower degree of churn within their book of business, because what we found out is that, and our data science team has done a great job of this, is that people switch their insurance when, after they have a severe weather event, typically, Um, they go looking. And so um, that's never good, um, given that we know that people aren't buying more insurance these days. You're just switching carriers
0: Wow why don't you why don't you take us back a little bit and then we'll jump into exactly what uh, your product is but what what got you into this what, where did you start where did you come from
2: yeah so um, I'm, I'm a byproduct of the uh, what's the 08 recession right so so yeah I was uh, graduate of the University of Louisville uh, Cardinal go cards. Um, and got an accounting degree and thought I was going to go to PWC or one of these big firms and um, actually started out working at uh, PNC Bank Um, and was having a great time. But then all the banks started to merge and fail and do all that sort of weird thing that they were doing. And I was like, "Uh, I don't have much time for this. I'm going to move home to my small town and kind of hang out for a while. And that's where a friend called me and said, hey, I think you ought to come take a job selling roofs. Um, And my first city that we went to was actually Independence, Missouri, in 2011.
1: Home of um, President Truman, I believe.
2: Yeah. And so um, a really great little town. Um, It was actually my first um, interaction with pre-tax income. Um, You know, you got to think, like, back then, all I knew how to do was study. Um, <laughs> I did not know anything about construction. And so the way that I would sell roofs in the early days was I would actually just recite the manual um, that CertainTeed had given or that Owens Corning or EAF had given. Um, and so it made me look really you know competent, um, but I actually didn't know anything about how the roof went on really in real life, um, but had some success there and um, eventually got into the operations and accounting side of Champion Roofing and um, um, basically helped grow their company from about $10 million annually to about $50 million. Wow. Wow. And uh, we did about 4,000 roofs a year. Wow. Uh, and that's really where we saw um, just this sort of, I saw this sort of recurring challenge. And my, be mindful that like at the same time, um, new technologies were being implemented into the space. So EagleView was just now getting started been around maybe like three years. I think we were customer number 10. Uh, mm-hmm. So Chris Barrow and um, Heidi Ellsworth. And I remember like our whole team flying to Bothell, Washington to see their operation, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. which was like 80% wrong, I think at that, <laughs> that, that particular <laughs> particular point. But I think I think Eagleview is a good example of how, um, as we talk about new technologies being implemented, we have to give the same level of sort of great um for technologies to be implemented over time because now eagle use pretty darn accurate yeah
1: um, and yeah and, very and, accurate and, and, and in widespread use
2: it, that's right that's right and so in the same way these earlier technologies they're going to be the same sort of like they have a high error rate at first but as we test them through and through and fix the bugs then they get better um and so i just saw this big challenge like i mean we didn't want to roll trucks in the roofing business um you know it takes a lot of cash to um run an f-250 out to a house every time somebody thinks they have a valid hail claim but we didn't have a good way of like we were just like, cross-referencing referencing cross streets and hail sloths there weren't any good tools to really say nope yes that house is damaged or no it's not
1: um so you were kind of putting together different data d- different data sets right. that you could get your hands on one way or another Um, and, and and putting, you know, your thumb up Kentucky wind, a little shout out to Kentucky there and, um, and, and just seeing if the probability was there. Yes.
2: That's exactly right. You know, we just didn't, we didn't want to go to rural Kentucky to try to sell a roof that, that the insurance company actually wasn't ever likely to pay for. Um, and so wasting their time, wasting hours. Um, so that's how we kind of got into the space. Um, The first, I I pitched the idea in early um, 2014 at a local event here in Louisville, Kentucky and um, happened to um, uh, have a guy on the panel who was at the time the CEO of CafePress.com. And he called me a year later and said, hey, that thing that you think you can do about determining damage at a house, this roofer's come by my house and said that I have hail damage, and I don't believe him. So, can you tell me? Um, turns out that we said no, he didn't have hail damage, and um, that um, really basically um, validated this sort of use case that oh, this is useful, the data's um, valuable to somebody, um, and then we started weather check out of that.
1: So, wow. it was um, in the, with the roofing company that you were working for? Were you doing mostly? Um, insurance work? is that Was that your bread and butter?
2: A hundred percent. I eventually spun out a company um, called Reliant that went after FEMA um, tarp contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were awarded one of those and um, then we sold that back to the parent company. So insurance yeah. has always kind of
1: been, you, you've had a, an affinity for it or an, a, an understanding for it because you guys have, you've been working around it really since the early days when you were selling roughs out of a
2: manual. Yeah, that's right. So it's it hazards only. I mean, we don't really, never done any real bid work, um, you know, or like large commercial. That's not really our bailiwick, but uh, um, but we it gave us a high degree of competency in materials. So that's the other piece that we spend a lot of time on, um, very similar to what IBHS does, um, and working in collaboration with them to kind of understand, okay, well, what is the damage probability? Of a particular material type, um, so yeah. So, at what
1: point in time did you say, you know what, I, I, I gotta, I gotta put a company together that that merges all this data? Because that's really, is that really what you see yourself as, as a data company?
2: Yeah. So, at at, at our first glance, we are a data aggregator, um, and then on the secondary piece, it's really the derivative works of those types of data. Um, that really make us super, super special um, and the ability to compute it very quickly. Um, And so, um, you know, it was really the the guy from Cafe Press's um, recommendation. Like once, like this guy had just had a company that was worth a hundred million dollars and you know, his sort of point of validation to say, yes, that you got a thing here, you should pursue it, um, was the thing that really made us say, okay, let's start a company, let's kind of move forward. Um, we actually started the company in 2015. Uh, we organized it um, for the purposes of taking care, taking advantage of um, some of the uh, minority supplier benefits. But the key is, was that you had to be at least two years old, um, or the org had to be two years old. So then we didn't really actively start actively start doing business until early 2017.
0: So it seems as though you get data from from all sorts of different sources. Yeah.
2: Over um, the level one data that we are using, which is the initial sort of pull into the system, is there's about 30 sources. Then once we do our cleaning and enriching and all the stuff we do behind the scenes, then it moves to about 60 sources. Um, And so um, it really is this sort of big data problem that the derivative work of the initial data sets themselves create even more data. Um, And so now we have a very, very complex big data problem. Um, And then secondarily to that, now you have an event-based architecture, um, which is now having to drive decisions, right? So, i.e., hey, we got a convective outlook from NWS that suggests that there's a high risk for large hail in this particular um, state or region. and as those convective outlooks improve, like, what do we do with that information? Yes, we can compute it. Yes, we can tell which policyholders being impacted. But now we have to define, okay, well, do we send them text messages telling them to move their cars inside? Do we, you know, stop binding coverage? Do we, you know, what do we do with that information? I um, mean, where we spend yeah. a, lot of, a lot more time um, helping carriers and agents and brokers really define what those next steps are
0: so is is a lot of that automated uh, a lot of the decision paths is that automated or is there a team of individuals who have to think that out and actually manually do all so some
2: of it is automated so um weather related events are automated um workflow related events are not Um, and so we have to build those custom to the carrier um if that makes sense
0: yeah no it absolutely does so who is your who is your target market? What do you who are are you currently selling? So to So today right now?
2: we're actively selling to agents and brokers. Right. So um, we just recently experienced. Um, Steve Anderson wrote a really great piece um, that really um, caused about fifty agencies in one day to sign up for WeatherCheck, which was something that we hadn't seen before. We'd had some early success with carriers, um, but that kind of seemed slow and hard and. Um, challenging conventional wisdom is, is always difficult. Um, and so we really started to pursue heavily agents and brokers um, to utilize this in their front office operations, right? So um, giving their account managers um, access to weather check uh, at every single potential FNOL that they get. Um, we were just about to release a tool that um, completes the uh, statement of loss, um, an accord form for them. Um, automatically with a click of a button uh, okay. um, and so yeah. and then sends it directly to the carrier um, uh, within whatever uh, agency management system that they're using so uh,
0: so on that it is the goal that if i have a homeowner's claim i think so if i go home and i find that my next door neighbor has a roofing sign let's say I, i've been on vacation i come home they have a roofing sign i call up my agent and say hey i see that my neighbor's getting a roof should I file a claim? Is the hope that the agent is going to use weather check to verify yes or no there's damage. Is that, exactly is that the right. goal? And, and how, how successful is that well, so far?
2: Right now we have about 14,000 unique searches every single month <laughs> oh, <laughs> where wow. people are, because actually weather checks, the only place on the internet right now that you can search any address for free. And it would re- okay. re- that weather history, that hail history. And so, um yes the agent and broker are using that and then the great thing is that then they can actually send a report directly to the insured hey no it doesn't look like we think you have hail damage to your house um but we can also send you this report to give you some justification um behind why we why we believe that to be true
0: um, yeah because there's there's some insured who are ready for that next hailstorm so they can get their roof done but there are others who are not right they they just you know, they, they don't want a hailstorm. They don't want to go through the hassle okay. of a roof. Uh, and then there's, you know, the majority of the public who just wants what's what's owed. If there is hell, replace the roof or repair it. If not, don't. So I think it could be successful on the agency well, side. Well
2: I, I think I think the agent is really doing all of all it can do to maintain the relationship with the consumer as best they can. And mm-hmm a catastrophic event or a mid-level loss like a hailstorm tends to disrupt that sort of equilibrium we have between the agent and the insured because now the roofer is on the street proselytizing, right? And and really it's a point of interjection that really the agent is trying to get in front of, right? And so that's why we recommend that you should upload your entire book because um, that's going to give you... um, uh, uh, an early insight into okay well hey here's who's at risk today and this is really the same level yeah. of detail that the carriers are getting from a reinsurer so if it's good enough for the reinsurer then why isn't it good enough for the agent
0: right i'm thinking about what phenomenal customer service the agent is able to give the the insured. they are able to be proactive in in, in communicating with the insured hey it looks like you might be in you know the the, the red line today be careful out there. Or, hey, the storm came through last night. Uh, it was it was one and a half inch hell. Would you like us to file a claim? What what great well, and, service. And that's,
2: that's sort of the next level stuff that we're talking about. Like mm-hmm. um, Because the only way, like the, the data is available around whether or not a potential asset has had hail has, or has it not. Um, we can obviously get new drift swaths around like, okay, well, it didn't actually hit this area, the, the the first swath said this, and we can evolve those over time now. So that's not as much of an issue anymore. Um, but the bigger thing is that like, wow, like carriers are going to have to become more accustomed to this idea that they're going to have high loss ratios because the data is going to be more visible. And so the next step is yeah. going to be how do we manage cost in that environment? Right. And the way that right. you're going to be able to manage costs is by having an event-based architecture in place where you can help people make decisions quickly and efficiently that don't cost you out.
1: The so what, why would a carrier, why would you have a carrier as a customer? How, how, how would they do business, a carrier do business with WeatherCheck?
2: Well, so carriers are, are trying to answer the same sort of question internally, specifically as more carriers are trying to manage from the desk. Um, You know, obviously, I I think your listeners are probably familiar with this trend that, oh, you know, we really, really don't want adjusters out in the field as much. Um, And so, if we can enable most of that um, from the desk level, we want to. Well, the question is the same as that of an agent or broker how do I know? Right. And so, that entire PIF or policy enforced book is uploaded, it's monitored in real time. What they're getting from the reinsurance company is not address specific, it's ZIP code level data, uh, which doesn't give them enough insight into what's going on with a particular insured. Um, And so that's the real enablement piece. So when you see, um, you know, Liberty Mutual send um, SMS messages to um, folks who have auto insurance in a particular market that might have been impacted by hail. Um, that those are the sort of use cases that we deploy within carriers. The other piece is in underwriting, right? So, um, and this is a trend that we've seen, is that now carriers are wanting to evaluate, okay, well, are we about to write a new policy up against an loss? Right. Right? So like, hey, we can't tell in Clue or in ISO that there was a hail loss because there's no weather data there. Hmm. And so now what carriers are, are tending to do is they're tending to say, ah, okay, let's compare the weather data up against the loss history. Yeah. So you can see that the, there's a claim that's missing here. Like you had three inch hail, but you have no loss. Did you replace the roof on your own or what, you know? Um, and so those are the sort of things that um, carriers come back to us. I think the other big piece has been moving away from forensic meteorology and disputes. So, um, because we can compute things so quickly, we can actually generate a forensic meteorology report um, in seconds right yeah here's all the data here's what we know it Our meteorology team QAs that report when it's requested um, and then you're done and we then stand behind that report. Um, so do
1: you, do you think that that you that weather check is disrupting something? People
2: tell me that it is. I try not to go that direction. Uh,
1: yeah, well, there's there, there can be a negative connotation there, but, but let's set that aside for a second because I think it's, uh, let's just be honest and, and ask the important question. What is, what is weather check disrupting?
2: So we're making property casualty insurance in the home sector an asset. Um, so just like you view your life insurance or your health insurance, you expect some payday from the actual policy. There are far too many consumers or insured who never see a direct benefit um, from their homeowner's insurance because they actually don't know what it covers, right? And so the instrument should really be utilized in a way that is an asset protection component um, and really enabling that to be the case. Um, So I think that's what smart home devices are trying to do. Um, That's what... services like ours are attempting to do is really make this thing that people pay a ton for that use very seldom um, a real mechanism for financial stability as they move throughout the course of their life. Uh, That is a disruptive notion, um, but I don't think it's too far uh, astray from how we use other types of insurance already, like life and health.
0: I'm thinking about disruption i'm all of a sudden i got a visual of your company a few years from now with how you could build this entire entire ecosystem surrounding weather home iot devices insurance oh man you got it you got a pretty cool future uh with this company do 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 you think weather check will cause more claims to be filed
2: I don't think we'll be the direct result, but I think we will be the direct beneficiary of claims moving, more claims being filed. Naturally, I think okay. Bloomberg um, wrote a good piece about the overall number of hail losses occurring per year and the difference in cost. So the same number of hailstorms are happening, but they're becoming more expensive, and so they're trying to get to the understanding of why that is. And I'm like, like Bloomberg, I think missed it in my opinion. Because they were like, oh, it's because of urban sprawl. And I'm like, no, it's because the roofing industry is hip to the game.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. right, Sure. They send out an army of of people into an affected area to to find business.
2: That's right. There's an army. Mm -hmm. And, and, And unfortunately, the insurance industry is not today tracking its number of goodwill payments that it's making to its insurer. Right? So we've seen claims paid that we're like, uh... You probably shouldn't pay that, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, but a carrier carriers are doing that. And I don't know how that does for uh, for our publicly traded entities out there uh, who are, you know, uh, that probably don't want to want people to know how many goodwill payments they're actually making um, toward, their, <laughs> toward their insured. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that's a lot of it. And so um, the sort of disruption will come in like, yes, actuaries are going to have to redo their models. Um, for this higher loss ratio future. Um, but the disruptive thing is that I do think that uh, most consumers, or the best consumers, don't actually want to deal with the claims process. That's right. good news, right? Um, they really don't want to be involved in the rigmarole. They really just want to take in, taken in care of, which means that the carrier and uh, the industry at large is going to see a, a lower combined ratio right because we're going to be able to get the efficiencies of like oh well GAF is issuing a material rebate of six dollars per square well why don't the carrier just buy the shingles yeah <laughs> I mean, like that that notion is becoming much much more of a reality as we continue to move forward um and, and really um the consumer the insured giving away that uh, agency when they execute a new new policy well i'm
0: just wondering what is your thought on a insurance company actually coming out and doing the repairs or the replacement they come out they determine that there's hell damage direct and repair say, direct repair mm-hmm. uh, either within their own force of employees or a or a you know c- contractor uh group what, what is your thought on that
2: um they shouldn't do it that way uh, okay um like I, we've seen companies like BELFOR and others be very successful in terms of the restoration process overall. Um, Now the cost associated with some of those services is where I think um, we've got to get a better handle on, but I think that's just because they're using um, really antiquated methods. Um, But um, they're really just generally not good at it normally. Um, And so I'm not a big fan of managed repair programs. Um, that exist out there today. Um, I really think the insured really wants to make most of the decisions, um, but they want support to do that, right? So how do I know that I'm choosing the right contractor? How do I know Mm -hmm. that my contractor's contract is compliant with my state law? Right. Those are the Mm -hmm. questions that really need to be answered for the insured, not necessarily, hey, can you come fix all the stuff?
0: You know, I I think about that, and I just had a hell loss at at my home, and it is very difficult to determine which contractor is the best. Before the storm, I knew of about three local roofers. Mm -hmm. After the storm, I determined that there's about 25 roofers who call themselves local who work in my neighborhood. And I'm a trained professional uh, claims person, and I had no clue how to start uh, really making sure I'm talking to the right person. Uh, do you know what? Sometimes I think that a direct repair may be nicer. That that my insurance company says, "Hey, I'm going to give you. I'm just going to come out and fix it." But then I also think, well, I don't get the um, availability, or I don't get get the the choice. Maybe on you know type of shingle. Maybe they're just going to come out and put exactly what's on there. And I want to upgrade and pay a little more. I don't know if I would lose that. Uh, but it's a very difficult process a claim like you said it, it's very difficult yeah
2: I, I think i think what we want to try to do is keep the relationship to the carrier at arm's length right and so i think there's a series of services that go, why uh, um because there's obviously some uh conflict that might exist between um the person who's paying and the person who's completing the work the theory uh, being that the that the payer wants it to be as as low as the payment to be as
1: low as possible
2: that's right and and so so there's a question of like just general transparency um Mm -hmm. in terms of that relationship and i think that's specifically why regulators don't aren't very very comfortable with the sort of steering relationships that exist so like for the carriers that we've spoken to like they're like they're just terrified of this notion of steering right but part of the argument that we've made to them is that part of the steering sort of theory is around the fact that you didn't tell the insured at the beginning that you were going to help them select, right? So when you coverage, right. like that's really the conversation that you need to be having when you're buying new coverage with an insured. Hey, we have this great program and it will do these things for you. Um, and so th- that's really my perspective just on like, okay, well, you know, I'm not, I've not heard a lot of contentment around like um, overall performance. And I think the other challenge know this mm-hmm. well is that there is a legitimate space for storm contractors in some of these markets um, there is a need for new labor to enter markets to support the scale of damage that might be in a particular city yeah. um, and managed repair programs tend to uh, uh, almost circumvent that you know the sort of capitalistic system that makes it work
1: right we we had what we had that? a uh... Um, a guest on a couple of weeks ago from a, a major carrier <clears throat> and he lives in Florida and he was saying how um, because of, you know, the nature of the market in Florida, which as we all know is completely <clears throat> unique to the country um, that he, if he agreed in his policy um, to using a managed repair network, if he should have a claim, that he agreed to use the carrier's managed repair network, they gave him a substantial discount, like a third, a substantial discount for agreeing that he would use their network, which I thought was a pretty aggressive um, idea by the carrier, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so it's, they're, they're after it.
0: Well, we always hear a lot about, you know we have the managed networks or you know managed repair networks in the auto industry but a car is a car you know it, the, the fender for a camry is the same for everything and then we get told well but a home is so unique but really a roof is not that unique a roof is a roof you have the same crews installing the same roofs on every house mm-hmm. all around the neighborhood a roof is a roof you have a certain materials. so i wonder could you not start going in that more managed repair network with roofing on homes and saying, just like you do with your auto, I have an auto claim. My insured said, hey, you can go to one of these three companies, your choice, and they'll just send us the bill. I wonder if we could move that way on a roofing side.
2: That's uh, where we intend to go, right? So um, our approach just overall has been to move further and further down funnel uh, in yeah. terms of the overall claims process. And, and that's the feedback that we're getting from um, agents, carriers, brokers, uh, um, as well as insured, that like okay, well, can you help me actually get it done? Um, and I think I think a lot of the middle market carriers are looking for that sort of solution. Hey, can you help our our insured move through this process more quickly? Because um, yeah. it's just less liability all around, right? Like if you don't end up in a litig.
0: Well, well, there. Yeah, I mean there are so many stopping points in a claim mm. there's um you know having to having to find the contractor having to pick out the roof having to get your your mortgage check endorsed or, or, or your, your your payment check endorsed by the mortgage company there's so many stopping points that you almost need somebody there to hold your hand and help you along the way and roofing claims are huge yeah. um, they they just have it, it makes up such a large amount of our our volume of claims every year that i think there's a, a real need for that um, what, what do you think
2: well, the possibility? I'll, I'll, let me I, Go ahead. I just thought about this. You know, the other thing that is an opportunity is that there's a gap in overall coverage. Right. So just as yeah. we deal with like this sort of uh, and I don't think carriers recognize that they've created a secondary market for new insurance in this process, because what have they done? Um, they've created higher deductibles for hail related losses. Right. Well, right. if you don't ever file the loss, then what's the likelihood that you're going to have a leak <laughs> down the road? Hi. Wow. And so now you need an insurance product for the deductible. It's the same thing that happened in auto when you have gap insurance, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on bated breath to see the, the first insurance company that says, hey, we'll insure the deductible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. <Yeah. laughs> on the losses.
0: I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here doing the math on that one, trying to figure out how that would um, work. But you're right. There's a whole nother market. There. Yeah.
2: So I, I think that's a lot of people. I, You know, I described the $4,000 deductible scenario. Um, I think that, you know, but I think it would be parametric in nature. Yes.
0: Yeah, because really, whenever we get down to it, that's why people are not so much wanting a managed repair network, because they're, you know, a lot of people are hoping for a little bit of help on their deductible, you know, maybe one way or another. And I think that's until we figure that out, uh, we're always going to have the strain of people wanting to pick their own contractor so they can get the work done. You got it. it.
2: That's, that's really where the core pain is, is that it is,
0: I mean, that that's the elephant in the room, but we might as well just come out and say it. It's because the deductibles are so, if you had a $500 deductible, like the olden days in Ohio, you don't have these kind of issues, but once you get a two, three, 10% deductible, you, you come up with these issues. We, uh,
1: we at 470 do a lot of business with lender place insurance which is not something that um, you know everybody even knows about in our industry there's there's many people in fact the first time we heard about it we said what's that <laughs> but uh, you wrote you wrote a very interesting paper about it that I read and so obviously you have a lot of background on it um, just real quickly can you tell everybody what lender place insurances and how weather check re- relates to that.
2: So lender place insurance is when, um, a property is in either foreclosure or pre-foreclosure, um, and a bank needs to execute an insurance policy on the behalf of a defaulted mortgagee. Um, and so they're buying coverage just in case the place burns down to the ground, um, and, um, you can read a lot online about LPI. Um, uh, in some cases, it's called force place. Right. Uh, hazard. And hazard only. Um, interesting coverage. Um, and actually, I think a better example of how claims should move forward in the future um, because there's a sort of synergy between the bank, the carrier, and the, um, you know, hazard claims manager, whoever might be uh, stepping in to kind of work through that process. Um, the problem in that sector is that there's a ton of red tape around mortgage, um, which makes it not go very fast. But, um, the sort of synergy between those three parties is really interesting.
1: So how do you guys fit into as, as offering a service to a, a, a segment of the industry? How, how do you guys fit in there?
2: So th- the exact same way we support carriers, right? So a mortgage company uploads their entire book of loans to us, um and then we monitor those loans um, in real time and so that's both performing and non-performing loans um and so what happens is it it uh, there's a number of hazard claims managers throughout the country that they contract with and we send lists back and forth between those companies and ourselves um telling them here's who we think is about to have a legitimate loss because most in, most uh mortgagees don't know that they have a, a contractual responsibility to actually file right, a claim right Um, Under the under the guise of their policy. That's why the insurance is required in the first place Mm -hmm. Uh, So now um, a lot of mortgage uh, Companies are looking at and saying okay, well, we want to know when somebody has a severe loss, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is all a byproduct of Hurricane Harvey really Mm -hmm. Um, um, We we struggled to get um, loans modified Um, the FA struggled because the big banks really couldn't substantiate what houses were damaged, um, and the result of that, how they fixed that problem, was actually physically to send teams of hundreds sure. directly to Houston to look at every single property. Right, uh, and that wasn't entirely necessary. And so, weather check was put in place um, by a number of of um, government sponsored enterprises, which is like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, um, uh, Jeannie Mae, uh, uh, Penny Mac, um, to basically act as an, an initial notification around hey, this particular uh, policy or a property has been impacted. We should take some some action. Um, we should either notify the mortgagee if it's performing, we should anticipate that we're going to get a loss draft at some point, um, or um, we should compare this against our property preservation vendor, um, who's actually going to inspect that foreclosed property every single month.
1: Yeah. Um, I heard and- you do um, another podcast not that they not that you know we mind if you do other podcasts that's fine we're okay <laughs> with that <laughs> but um, but uh, you told the story about how you were sent to I think it was Phoenix because there was a storm and you weren't sure how bad the damage was and so your boss said get on a plane and go to Phoenix and go look at roofs yeah and uh, that's you guys are a solution to that right?
2: Yeah, we don't don't sell to the roofing industry, ironically, um, because we do believe that there's some reverse incentive there. Um, We suggest that roofers be what they are, roofers, right? Um, And let them do the roof, like give them a good price. Um, But what we really need from the roofing industry is that you be optimized and ready to perform really, really well based upon whatever service level agreement um, you're under, so, i.e., you're going to show up on right. Thursday, be there on Thursday if it's not raining and don't lie. Like, <laughs> like yeah. um, That's really where um, I believe the roofing sector needs to do its work. But there's great companies like Roofer out there, who's also a YC company, um, who is uh-huh. working to resolve it. I think they're available in Florida and maybe Texas. Um, but those are really great companies that I think are trying to solve that particular problem, making sure the performance um, in terms of deliverables is on point. Um, and then we really handle the sort of okay, should you file, should you not file? But then there's still a place for we're not circumventing what the insurance industry already does. So if the carrier wants to send an adjuster out to look at everything, then by all means do that, um, because um, we. Just fundamentally realize that you can't upend their systems. Um, but what you can do is you can right. uberfy their systems. You can work outside of them. Um, so, which, which for them becomes disruptive. Um, because if I'm sitting outside of every system that you have and I never invite you in, then in the long run, why do I really, why don't I just become the carrier?
0: Yeah. Well, I like the thought of uh, helping the adjuster. So if the adjuster decides, or if the carrier decides to send the adjuster out there, just be that extra tool, right? Give them a, a little bit of knowledge going okay. into the loss. Uh, I remember I was an adjuster for years and years and years, and I would be sent out to a, a storm location, and I would show up at my first house, and I had no idea other than what I saw on the weather three days ago if, if there was any damage, if, where it was, or anything. But if I had a nice weather report in my hand, I'd say, "Oh, it's likely uh, there's some hell, or it's not likely. Let's go out and let's just be prepared." So, I think that that's a great. Well, we are we are now
2: attaching. So, for all of the claims that are coming through an agent broker's office, the weather report is actually going directly with the claim itself.
0: Oh, that's Um,
2: so that you should get that because we really felt like we couldn't control where a particular adjusting firm was going to get which claim or whatever that might be. Um, and so um, that that's really kind of where we normally sit. I think one of the big things is like um, if we're making a damage assessment and we're saying, yeah, believe this asset's damaged, mm-hmm. it's actually taking into account the carrier's likelihood to pay that claim as well.
0: Uh, yeah, that, that part kind of blows my mind right there. Tell, tell me about that. What are you doing with that?
2: Well, what we do is we just take, a, um, we started off by paying people for their loss data right so everything if you had a scope of loss we would pay you five dollars to give it to us um, and that allowed us to to build a data set for what the likelihood to pay was up against the weather events Wow right so like all of that data is out there like the consumer's not prevented from giving it to us yeah you want it five bucks that's how we built the early data set um, and so for I think 30 carriers we have that initial um, uh, data. Um, so the top thirty.
0: That's pretty fascinating. I like that. Do do uh, you ever see a time in the future where a insurance company would be able to deny a a claim using your reports?
2: No. Okay. Uh, um, and in, in part because I do think that um, the regulatory environment won't support that. Right. Um, okay. I think. There's always going to be an obligation on behalf of the FOD, um, carrier to physically put eyes on the asset. What I do think, however, is that um, the report will actually be enough um, to validate whether or not, and actually there's a, a we call it the report behind the report because we don't have a name for it um, yet. So how we made the damage assessment, we actually give that to carriers. Um, it shows every data point that we're using in our analysis, um, and so three D models and blah 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 blah. And that's what I was talking about about that forensic report. And so, if they find themselves in a dispute uh, about what the report says or doesn't say, then I, that's where where we kind of step in to kind of help through that process. But we are looking to be the sort of empirical empirical source. the 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 point here is that. You don't have to deny the claim if it never gets to you. Right, yeah. <laughs> so if you give people some insight on the front end and let them make their own decision, then you could use your um, adjusting process to support whether or not you, why you made that decision. You have some degree of insight and then, you know, you kick those people out of your piff, you know, or, or whatever. But because um, the likelihood is that they're probably a bad customer who's searching for a new route from their insurance you know yeah um, and so that's really how we how we typically think about it what we've encouraged agents and brokers to do is like hey if you think you have a hail loss because all of them have those claims pages on their websites you can embed our search bar directly into your website right and so now the insured person has some degree of context oh yeah weather check doesn't think it's damaged so not gonna pursue it Wow
1: I want to talk for a few minutes about um, accelerators, incubators, et cetera, because I know that you had a, a unique experience. Um, you were in Y Combinator, isn't that correct? That's right. Okay, that, and I, I know that's that's a, a big deal for a tech company. Um, th- there's a lot of incubators and we've had several, or accelerators, we've had several um, on on our show and, and, and we'll have, we will have more coming up. Would you go through another one? Would you go through one that's more insurance specific?
2: Um, no. No, I wouldn't. Um, but um, it's, I think startups need to be strategic about which accelerators they go to for what reason. And so if you look at um, we went to another accelerator, accelerator it was called uh, the Erie Innovation District. We specifically okay. went to that accelerator because it was in Erie, Pennsylvania by Erie right. Insurance. <laughs> like, it, had, we, it met a number of criteria or data points. Oh, if we get into this accelerator, then yes, we get $50,000, but Erie Insurance is right next door. Right. The executive team, their number, mm-hmm. 9, 10, or 11, they fluctuate. Um, and then that's going to give us an end to you know, obtaining them as a customer. And so that was our thesis. Um, But Y Combinator is the Harvard of accelerators. And so, uh, you know, from my perspective, there is only one. We applied four times um, and, you know, got in the last time. Um, And what's interesting is that um, I think YC, given the number of applications I think that they're getting from the insurance sector, um, I think it's more inclined now to actually accept an insure tech company um, because truthfully, they don't know that much about the space. Right. They know it's a big market. They know that there's you know $630 million in premium written every single year. Um, but the nuance between how it works or how it doesn't work is still very, very opaque to them in some ways. But I think it's why they're um, investing in companies so aggressively. So you had Cameron... MacArthur from AI insurance, um, you know, like all of those guys are really are trying to, Roofer. Work through, yeah, Roofer, you know, like trying to work through this space. And I don't, I actually think um, Roofer is not heavily focused on the insurance claim sector, so right. they, um, direct bid sort of space. Um, but that actually creates another opportunity because if you can find contractors who are bidding under the scope of loss, then you can actually save a carrier in the long run or under the RCV, I should
1: say. We've, uh, we uh, like, w- for one example, we had Plug and Play on. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting group, very interesting organization, and we, we really enjoyed our time with them. Completely focused, they have a number of different verticals that they focus in, but one of them is InsurTech, and I can certainly see the value of of the accelerator that has an InsurTech focus or practice because the, the, then they bring, because one of their jobs, right, is the matchmaker aspect. Yeah. And they can bring the, they can focus on bringing those specific kinds of companies that have insure tech needs or desires or interest.
2: Yeah. I, it, it doesn't seem that difficult to me to get to the carriers. All right. So I think, you know, we talk to hmm, probably 10 to 15 carriers a week. And it's not that hard. I mean, I think if you're coming into the sector cold, that's the real hard part. Is that you don't you really don't know the industry. You're just building some tech specifically because you think there's an opportunity. That's what's a little bit harder. And so getting up to speed. If I were in that position, then I would probably have gone to an insure tech accelerator um, to get more knowledge. But um, coming from the space and having you know dealt with scopes and all of that and adjusters and publics and you know all that stuff, um, it, it, we didn't really need that level of insight. We kind of knew, okay, well, this carrier, we're not looking at captive agents, we're looking at, at independent agents, um, so on and so forth.
1: Um, we're, we're near the end of our time here, and there's something we like to ask the insurtechs who come on our show about, and that is, uh, as, as kind of our conclusion, um, where do you see weather check in a year or two or three? Is, is there anything you can share about your roadmap or, or what we can look forward to from you guys, uh, just briefly as we, as we wrap up?
2: Well, we are rolling out a new, um, upgrade version of the application called weather check preferred for agents. So it gives agents the ability to enroll their insured. Um, and we're building tools to basically help in that overall selection process. So, Hey, what contractor should I use? Um, uh, can we we're vetting all of their relevant information so this contractor doesn't have any open court cases and no liens and you know all that good stuff um, and so as another way to really continue to move further down pipeline for us um, and so in the next two years what we expect is that WeatherCheck will be um, eventually processing um, a majority of claims on behalf of insureds. Um, representing them as they kind of go through that process. So really, I think the better word is enabling them um, through the process. It's not necessarily to be adversarial, but really giving the industry a legitimate way to say, oh, this is weather check verified. We can move this right on through. Um, and the insurance work with us to do that. Um, and so today we've processed about $4 million in claims that way. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we're continuously moving through that process. and getting new learnings every single day. So, yeah.
0: Well,
1: um, we can't thank you enough for your time to be with us today. We, we have a lot of guests on the show and it's not often that we have on an insure tech guest that we, that we understand so well and that <laughs> understands our business back and forth. Right. We're, 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 we've been crawling around on roofs for a long time, just yeah. like you. Yeah. So we have a, good understanding of the whole roof aspect of of the business as obviously uh as, as you do too and and the impact of weather thereof and so it's it was uh, really exciting and and uh and interesting to have you on and and we'll yeah, ask very much we'll, we'll ask would you do this again with us
2: uh, absolutely. Let's uh, get to a billion-dollar valuation, and then I'll come back on for sure. Okay, that's a deal.
1: Yeah, my check, my check is in the mail to you right now. <laughs> by the way, that's awesome.
2: That's awesome. Like, you know, like it's it's been a complete utter pleasure, and uh, like I said, I love talking this stuff with people who know it. And uh, so, if you get a chance to talk to any VCs who uh, need to get hip, please do. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll All do right. that. Thanks, a million.
1: Hey Haley, I know hey, that you are a data guy, so you had to like that interview.
0: Yeah, that's a entire company based on data, but with a really neat future. Um, I didn't know that they started back in 2015, um, but it, it it's really fascinating. What they're gonna be able to do with the data, what they are doing now, yeah, and what they're gonna be able to do.
1: You know, you know, I'm I'm not. Um, you're, you're the data guy among us, and and the more tech tech uh, focused person here in this little podcast that we have. But one of the interesting things about data, from my perspective, right, which is more, you know, thirty thousand feet is, if you have a ton of data you can it just seems like there's no end to the kind of value you can derive from it right different ideas different yeah. services different different things and the, and the, and that seems like the case here that um, they have a lot of data and there there's a lot of things you can do with that
0: just a ton of data uh, you're right there there are times that you can have data overload where there's just so much that you can't really get through it all but he seems to have really uh, narrowed down his data sources. He said he started out with 30 data sources. Uh, that That's a boatload. You can do a lot with it, but uh, they've at least limited it uh, to to their needs. But I, I think they have a great future, and I think he is a really smart guy who's able to say, uh, this is what we're doing now. Let's make sure we capture enough data for what we want to do in, in, in the future. How does
1: this... Um move the ball forward in our industry. How does this move the ball forward uh, in, in, for, even even for companies like ours?
0: Well, you know, we're always interested in the technology companies uh, who are trying to prevent claims. I think that's a really big push and a really uh, interesting market for, for insurance companies in general. This does not prevent claims, but it lets us be more proactive. Uh, so on the insurance side, the insurance carrier can be proactive in a claim being filed, which uh, turns around helping out customer service. It allows you to engage with your with your insureds and ultimately build trust. So I think that is what it's all about. I think that's a big play because a happy insured is going to stay with you and continue and continue to pay premiums. So I mm-hmm. think that's the biggest push that I see out of it. Um, and then just really. Being that extra tool in the toolkit of a of a address specific weather report, uh, surrounded by thirty sources of data, is uh is really helpful whenever you're uh, justifying your 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 payment decision.
1: What do you think about their marketing plan that they're after agents and brokers?
0: Yeah, I think that's a a good way to go about it. I see it also being a a insured facing marketing plan. But really, it's the agent uh, and the broker who is first line of uh, communication with the insured. So I think if you can build that relationship and you can build that trust, that's very much going to help because an agent doesn't want to put an insured through a claim uh, if there's no logical reason for it, nor does an insured want to do that. So if your agent can be um, on, the, on the up and up and understand exactly what's going on, it's going to build trust and value. Cool.
1: Cool. Um, yeah. what else?
0: Well, I, I just, I'm excited about the ecosystem that I think he'll build one day. Um, it, it just got my brain going and got me thinking of what all he could do, uh, with the, with the information and the data that he has. Um, I just see it being, uh, a future, a future world of communication of knowledge and kind of a hub of insurance you know, or claims information, weather data, uh, roofer data. I think there's a lot to it. I, I enjoyed talking to them about the roofing industry mm-hmm. and kind of where, where it's where it been and what's going mm-hmm. on there. was a little bit of insight into that. It made me want to have uh, some of our cat adjuster roofers on. Mm-hmm. I think our audience might be interested to hear their take on claims. What do they see? What's the good, bad, and ugly?
1: Well, we're real grateful to Demetrius for being with us. Uh, Obviously, both uh, Lee and I were very impressed with him and excited about uh, the future of of WeatherCheck. We appreciate you all being with us. We are not supported (laughs) financially, uh, except by our own company. So out of our own pockets, basically, we do this podcast. And we ask that you support us by subscribing to us on whatever one of your favorite platforms may be. Until next time, what do you say, Lee?
0: Goodbye, everybody.